The story is told of an old Scottish minister uh, who began reading what Gary read for us, the first chapter of Matthew, and he started reading, well, Abraham, he begat Isaac, and Isaac, he begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah, and then uh, it occurred to him how long that, that list was going to be, and he wasn't certain he wanted to read all of it, so he looked down through the text, and he said, and they kept on begetting one another all the way down this page and halfway through the next. <laughs> Jokes aren't funny if we don't laugh with them. Last Sunday night, we studied Leviticus 14, and we don't look at Leviticus very often. It's not the most riveting section of Scripture, and we may be tempted to treat it like we may treat our passage for this morning uh, in the same light. They're just boring sections that are meant to be skimmed over. And now, granted, the genealogies, they're not page turners, like the exciting stories of uh, David and Goliath or, or Daniel in the lion's den, but there is a powerful, even if it's subtle, message here, and that's why both Matthew and Luke start off their story of Jesus by telling us where he came from, what his history was, and who his family was. From beginning to end, there is something we can learn about Jesus from the genealogies. But before we can get to the list of Matthew and Luke, we need to back up into Genesis once again to an earlier genealogy go forward one to chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 this is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man he made him in the likeness of God he created the male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth and notice it says Adam was made in the likeness of God. But when Adam had a son, his son was in Adam's likeness, in his own image. That's what we read here in verse 3. Adam, he had been the perfect man, created in the image of God. But when he and Eve sinned, they tore a hole in the fabric of that perfection. And now that they had children... That hole was still there. That imperfection was still there. Those children became like man and less and less like God. They had the same strengths and weaknesses that Adam and Eve had. And Adam's descendants still bore the image of God in their lives, just like we do today. But it, that image became warped by sin. They chose the sin, and that warped the, percept, the perfection that God created them with. The most obvious Example of this was the firstborn son of the world. Cain, known for murdering his brother, was the very first child of the earth. And he showed just how warped people had become that were made in the likeness of Adam, at least. And now we get this impression that Seth here was a better son than Cain, but he had only been made in the image of his earthly father. He was good, but only in the image of Adam. And these things don't get any better as time progressed. By the time of Noah, the Bible tells us that the Lord saw how great man's weaknesses on the earth had become. That every indication of the thoughts of the, his heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 6, 5. And things still haven't changed. A couple thousand, several thousand years later, Romans 3.23 tells us all of sin to fall short the glory of God. And Romans tells us that that sin 
has a price. The wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. And that's exactly the lesson of Genesis chapter 5 here. It drives that home over and over again. Again and again, Genesis 5 tells us about a son, or excuse me, a father begetting a son, and the consequence was death of that man's life. You see it in verses 5 and 8 and 11 uh, and 14 and 17 and 20 and 27 and 31. Eight times in Genesis 5, God told the bell of death. And the descendants of Adam were mortal. And God repeatedly tells us that they died. And so shall we, because the wages of sin is death. Mankind, we try to avoid it. We try to uh, stave it off, but we are all going to die. Uh, Tony Evans, a comedian, observes that uh, funerals, they used to be a, a solemn, but they were still a, a crude affair. It, it was muddy. It, it was dirty, burying a body. It wasn't something that um, you dressed up for. It was something that you put on your overalls for. It, it was a, a nasty thing to do. The dead were placed in a, a wooden box. They were lowered um, as deep as they could get them, or um, uh, maybe not, maybe just <laughs> enough to get it done with. But nowadays, it's a, a stylish affair. You know, the funeral home is a, an elegant mansion. The casket's not a, a wooden box, but it's this um, polished bronze with cushions inside. Makeup artists make you look better than you ever did while you were alive, and a whole bunch of people show up, and a preacher says a whole lot of nice things about you that, again, people may not have said while you were alive, and then they pull you into the, the cemetery in a limousine, and they have uh, ropes blocking off your path, and police officers drive down the way to make sure that everyone yields for you. It's a, a very beautiful and tasteful and elegant occasion. And then Tony Evans pointed out, but you know, you're still dead. It doesn't matter how it happens. It doesn't matter how we dress it up in the end, we're still dead. We all die a physical death because the wages of sin is death. And it makes you wonder, did God have a plan to deal with that tragedy? And of course he did. And it's revealed right here in Genesis 5. You know, there's nine men mentioned here in this genealogy. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And according um, to one guy, each of their names had a special meeting. Adam meant man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan and Sarah, Mahalalel, the blessed God, Jared means thou shalt come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah declares that his death shall bring, Lamech means the despairing, Noah means rest or comfort, and you put all of that together and the message you get is that man is appointed mortal sorrow, man is destined to die in other words, and then the blessed God shall come down teaching, his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Eh. I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure if that's some hidden message. I don't think that's what's here in this genealogy. But it does reflect the truth that the genealogies were written to give us. Man dies, but God was going to come, and he was going to die to bring us rest and comfort. And that's from one of what we consider the boring sections of Scripture. All throughout the Old Testament, God declared that his intention was to heal mankind of the damage that sin has caused to us. And in Isaiah 53, he made it clear that that healing would come through the death of someone who would take our punishment for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was 
crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. So we all had a problem. We called it sin, and God had a plan, and he called it a savior. And God came down teaching us to live the life that he wanted us to live, and then he died so that that despair could be put to rest. And that sets the stage here in Genesis 5, this genealogy, it sets the stage for what we're going to read in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, he begins his account of the gospel with this genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob got Judah and his brothers, and they kept on begetting one another all the way down the page, and they all kept begetting uh, until verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. It doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Yeah, this is the way Matthew chose to tell the greatest story of all of humankind. This is the greatest story we ever heard. And Matthew said, you know what? We need 16 verses saying who begot who. They, uh, if we started off a study of Matthew, we may be tempted to skim over this first chapter. Uh, and and uh, because it's not a very exciting start to our Savior coming to earth. But it meant a whole lot, it turns out. For the Jewish people, their genealogy was very important. It told you who your people were, or what tribe you came from, and most importantly, it told you if you were 100% Jewish or not. They would be horrified to think if they were not uh, the promised people. And so the Jewish people kept very careful records of their genealogy. And no, the Bible's not just a, a book of who begat who, but there are a lot of genealogies in the Bible. And the book of Numbers is a little more than just name after name. And, and knowing their genealogy was important for people who cared about maintaining their identity, the reason that they were um, a people and a people of God. And they would go back to try to find where they came from. And there's one group of people even today that take this genealogy very seriously. That's royalty, right? They have to prove who their descendants are. It's essential to royalty to be able to prove that they are indeed descended from royal blood so they can maintain their claim to a throne. And there are people who made a living out of studying who is royal and who is not. I think there's a movie um, that goes, you know, the, the whole royal family is killed in England and they have to go back to the, the 30th person or the 300th or something person in the line to the throne. People's genealogy still matter. And that's exactly why the genealogy of Jesus is so important. It proves that he is who he says he is. It proves he's the man who is to be the king of the kingdom of God. You could paraphrase the first uh, 17 verses of Matthew by saying, here, O Israel, this is your king. This is the person who was always promised to. He is the living legal heir to the throne of Israel. The records prove it. The genealogy proves it. And if you've got a problem with it, Check it out. We have the proof that this is who he is. The lineage is indisputable. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, king of all who would be subject in the kingdom of heaven. You're king if you would so choose. And so it's worth taking a bit of our time to look at this long line of ancestors that Matthew lays out for us. I mean, 
Well, I won't bore you. I won't go through every name, but an overview of the genealogy of Jesus, it gives us so much valuable information about him. It should make a difference in our lives. First, this genealogy, it shows us that God will go to ridiculous lengths to keep his promise to save us. Yeah, I won't go into great detail. This is what we talked about last week, but suffice it to say that this genealogy is incredible proof that God keeps his promises. This list of names that Jesus is the answer to mankind's greatest needs, this is what that proves. There, there are things that we are going to need. We need to be saved from our sins. We need to be saved from the grips of Satan, a grip which he's had on us since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God. We need a king to win back the world from Satan because remember, Satan's using every tool in his toolbox, even the tool of death, to try to take that uh, throne from God. We need to be saved. The world needs to be saved. And Jesus shows the ridiculous lengths that God will go to fulfill both of those needs. You know, all of our problems began when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit and disobeyed God, and then we did the same. When we sinned and we disobeyed God, God made a promise then and there that he would send a Savior to be a sacrifice for us. And that Savior would be like the son of Abraham. You know, God tested Abraham by asking him to what? Sacrifice his son, right? That's a pretty harsh thing to ask. But God wanted to know if Abraham loved him with everything he had, including his son. And so Abraham, he passed the test. He was about to sacrifice his son when God provided him with a, a ram to sacrifice instead. And God gave him a substitute sacrifice. And through Jesus... We have our own son of Abraham. God gave the world a substitute. Instead of us having to die for our sins, God sent his son to die for us instead. And that's why Matthew makes it clear by giving us this genealogy that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the promised sacrifice. Now, all throughout history was pointing to a moment where we would have another Isaac, that a father would be willing to. To give to us. In his earthly lineage, Jesus also had royal blood. We needed a king as well, not just a savior. This world is corrupted, and God will not be satisfied until that is cleaned up and reclaimed for his glory. And so, remember last week we made it clear that God had promised uh, David that because David was a man after God's own heart, that a descendant of his would be on the throne forever. Well, that descendant is Jesus. And you can follow the genealogy back to see uh, for yourself that Jesus is indeed descended from King David. And in his earthly lineage, Jesus has royal blood. And in his heavenly uh, lineage, he sits on the throne of heaven. So when we look at God's hand in history, he was somehow able to do something that is totally unlikely. He was able to, in one person, find for us a sacrifice and a king. He was able to find the son of Abraham and the son of David. He arranged it so that one man could come to earth and be both our victor and our sacrifice. And through the resurrection, he would rule forever on the throne of David. It would seem impossible to put that 
those two roles in one person, but through God it was possible. And because we can go back and see Abraham who begat Isaac and Jacob and so on, and David through Solomon and on to Mathen and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah, the king who came to save the world, we can know that we have both a sacrifice and a king. It was very important for the Jews to be able to trace this lineage so they could be convinced that Jesus was really of royal blood. But for us, it's important for us to go back and be able to trace the lineage of Jesus to know not only do we have a king, but we have a sacrifice that God is willing to go to ridiculous lengths to fulfill his promise to save us. So yes, the genealogy of Jesus shows us that God would go to incredible lengths to save us. But secondly, he also worked through uh, all kinds of circumstances to bring a savior to this earth. You know, look at these names. If you have Matthew chapter one open and think about some of the circumstances we remember from the Old Testament. Abraham, he wandered from Babylon to Egypt and back to the promised land, narrowly escaping death many a time. And although he and his wife were childless beyond the normal time, God provided him a son who would eventually become a nation. His son Isaac was almost sacrificed on a mountain. Jacob uh, was nearly killed by his own brother and had a difficult time even finding a wife. And at that time, Israel was only, what, 100 people? Then the nation of Israel lived as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, uh, seemingly forgotten by God. And then they were freed uh, in Israel. They escaped through the Red Sea. The nation wandered in the desert for 40 years. God, uh, he was disappointed with them over and over and over. He was disappointed with them, but he allowed that nation to live so that the next generation could take the promised land. And once they were in the promised land, what happened? The nation had to fight the very people who were already living there. When they obeyed God, uh, they did well. When they disobeyed God, they suffered. And yet God kept the nation alive and the line of Abraham continued on. And by the time we get to Jesse, King David and Solomon, uh, the nation had become great, but they also had become spiritually corrupt. And they weren't physically suffering anymore, but their hearts were turned to stone. It would have been understandable if God said, you know what? I'm wiping my hands of these people. I want nothing to do with them anymore. Uh, if he would have just given up on this rebellious nation and started over, but God kept working through them. He worked through that lineage because he had promised that savior would come from this line. From Solomon on, God had to be patient with a nation that was wicked and corrupt faithless over and over again. He sent his prophets to warn and beg, threaten his people to turn back and, and come back into the fold. And so God, he allowed his people to be taken off into exile rather than allowing them to be killed off. They were held in slavery for generations. That nation lived in exile. exile. My, meanwhile, nations came and went Babylonians were uh, defeated by the Persians. The Persians allowed the Jews to go back into the promised land. The Persians were defeated by the Greeks. The Greeks uh, built an incredible nation, but then the Romans came in. And in the midst of all of that upheaval, God preserved the Jewish people. And a man named Jacob gave birth to a son named Joseph, who married Mary, who gave birth to a son named Jesus, who was called the Messiah. You know, from a wandering Israel 
in Babylon, through slavery in Egypt, through wandering in the desert, through warfare, through kingdoms rising and falling, through empires waxing and waning, through rebellion, through apostasy, through godlessness, through it all. God preserved this nation, these people, this family, because he promised this is where our Savior and our King would come from. You know, we get to a, a point in all of our lives where our circumstances become too difficult to push through. You know, we say we can't carry on. We've just got to quit. We've got to, uh, we've spent too much money on something. We've spent too much time on something. Um, we were, we had a, a party over at the house yesterday, um, and we were making uh, uh, desserts the night before. And we got to some cookies um, that were in the oven a little bit too long, and we thought about remaking them, or we, but it was just too much. These cookies were long gone, so I ate them, and it was fine. Um, we all get to a point where we, we've just invested too much into something, and it's just too far gone, and we have to say, you know what, we've got we've to call our loss. We've got to step back and just start over. God didn't do that, though, and he should have over and over and over again he should have. He kept going through all of these circumstances to make sure that there was an unbroken line for the son of David and the son of Abraham. No, how, no matter how unfaithful the Israelites were, no matter how hopeless things seemed, no matter how impossible it was to keep going, God kept going. Why? Well, because he loved us so much that he wanted to make sure that Jesus would come to save the world from its sins. God loved us so much that he was literally willing to move heaven and earth to get his son to be on earth as our king. It's like uh, the rescue teams. Their models is there's no opportunity for failure. Failure is not an option. They get in and save people because their job is too important to entertain not doing it, to entertain the idea of failure. And that's what God was thinking. Failure is not an option. Through wars and famines and betrayals to him and slavery and exile and turmoil, God's going to make sure that Jesus comes. And when we read the story behind these names in Matthew 1, we realize that God loves us so much that he worked through all of these, not just people, but situations to make sure that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. And that brings me to my final point. And when you look through all these names, you can only come to one conclusion, and that, that is God will work through sometimes ridiculous people as well to accomplish his will. And most people will get mad uh, if you say anything bad about their family or their genealogy, right? You know, they, they, they like to cut out all the, the pirates and thieves and murderers in their family and only look at the, the presidents and the, the conquerors. But uh, it's not so with Jesus. Yeah, how much more would you think that God would try to spruce up the genealogy? And he had the power to do so. He could have made sure Jesus came from the best family on earth, had the greatest genealogy on earth. But he didn't. You might think that Matthew himself, a good and devout Jew, would do his best to paint the best possible picture uh, of Jesus' ancestors to show that he was not only a, a coming king, but he came from good stock. But when you look at Jesus' ancestors, the people in the line from Abraham to Jesus, we see just the opposite. Each person had skeletons in their closet. Abraham, he twice said that his wife was his sister, so he wouldn't have to fight for her. Isaac did the same thing, saying that his wife was his sister and got caught um, 
snuggling with her. Jacob was flat out a cheat and a, a swindler. His name meant he struggles. He lied to his father. He cheated his brother. He ripped off his father-in-law. Judah was, uh, sold his own brother into slavery, slept with his daughter-in-law, thinking that she was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Gentile from a despised country. David, he committed adultery and then had a, a husband of the woman killed. Solomon allowed his wives, uh, and, and he had a bunch to worship false gods. Rehoboam split the nation of Israel in two with his harsh ways. And many of the kings in Jesus' line were wicked and evil. They worshiped false gods. They did cruel things. One king, Manasseh, even sacrificed his own son to an idol, among other detestable things. And I think we get the idea. I hope all of Jesus' descendants were very human. They, were, they had human weaknesses, you know, some worse than others. And I'm sure that every family has skeletons in the closet that we would like to keep there. But in Jesus' case, their deeds are right here in Scripture. They're laid out for us. He gives us uh, an inspired book, inspired by the Spirit, to read about the failings of everyone in this line leading up to Jesus. We know that his pedigree was not pure, and yet Jesus, he used all, or God used all of these sinful, fallen people in his plan to bring a savior to the world, to save the world. Jesus used murderers and cheats and liars and pagans and swindlers to accomplish this plan to save the world. Why? Well, because he came to save murderers and cheats and liars and pagans and swindlers. You know, people like you and me, that is who Jesus came to save. And he used people like you and me to save us. He used people to bring his son into the world. He allowed his perfect son be born from imperfect ancestors because it was those kinds of people that God came to save. And when you read the, the names in Jesus' ancestry, you see this cross-section of humanity and all its glory and all its shame. Some did some heroic things, some did despicable things, some did a little bit of both, but you know something, we're all like those people in Jesus' family tree. We're some good, we're some bad, but most of us are somewhat in between. But the incredible thing is that God and his infinite inscrutability loves us warts and all he loves us enough to work through all of these fallen people to bring his son to the earth to keep his promise and to save us and to redeem us and this world from the clutches of satan you know from the fifth chapter of genesis on god reveals a problem in his genealogy no matter how much begetting mankind did no matter how many more people came into the world those people all kept dying over and over again, without the intervention of God, those people kept dying because they all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And that's why the people in these genealogies, they died, but God promised it didn't have to be that way. You know, Matthew, he might have written this genealogy to prove to skeptical Jewish minds that this Jesus who was born to Mary, who married Joseph, that he was a descendant of Abraham and David. And that was important to them so they would know that they had royal blood here. But it also shows us so much more. It shows us a God who was willing to go to ridiculous lengths to keep a promise. It shows us a God who worked through difficult and incredible circumstances to bring us a savior. And it shows us a God who went through ridiculous people sometimes to save ridiculous people like you and me. And when you look 
at this genealogy. You see the great lengths of time and space and circumstance that God went through to save you, to make sure that you would have a Savior and I would have a Savior to free us from our sins and in this cycle of death that the genealogies show us. Considering all of that, what are we willing to do? You know, the Savior has come. Matthew writes in verse 16 that Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. It was called Christ. And all that was done, so this could be revealed or done, that it was fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God is with us his promised son the son of abraham the son of david both a sacrifice and a king says follow him repent of your sins be baptized and he will free you from satan's grip so if you're ready to accept that call this morning now is the time to come to the front of the room